Well, good morning, Summit Church. How are we all doing on this beautiful Sunday morning? I want to thank you all for the effort that you are making in helping our community as we work toward recovery of this flood situation. Keep up the good work. I know there's some great efforts going on in town. I would encourage you that uh, while we as a church are simply going out and helping where we can, uh, let's get involved with some of these larger efforts as well, regardless of who gets the credit. Amen? Yeah. All right. Well, today we carry on our study of the book of 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, starting with verse 5. If you don't know where 1 John is, just open your Bible to the very back, to the last book in the Bible. You'll find Revelation. Right in front of that, you'll come to Jude. Then before that, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Here at Summit Church, we have one mission, and that mission is all eyes on Jesus. For your own sake, for the sake of the world, and for the glory of God, all eyes on Jesus. He alone is our hope. He alone is our glory. Today's goal, related to uh, the specific text we're looking at, is uh, to encourage each of us <clears throat> to walk in God's glorious light. And so we pick it up in verse 5 where we read, this is the message we have heard from him. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and declare to you. Now, in order to understand where we are today, you have to go back to last week's study, which, by the way, you can listen to online at estesparkchurch.org. And there we found that John, along with many others, were firsthand witnesses to the fact that Jesus was and is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. In that, he is the creator of the world. He is the creator of all that is in it. And I know that's a radical concept to some of you in hearing that, but the scriptures are very clear on these points, and many of those scriptures I refer to in that teaching. Well, while Jesus walked on earth, hundreds of people saw him, they heard him, they touched him, they walked with him. Even hundreds uh, had the same kind of experiences after he rose from the dead. Okay, very, very important. This is Jesus. We talked about Jesus last week, who Jesus is. But what was Jesus's message? And that's what John is about to tell us. At the end of the Gospel of John, and remember, we're in the Epistle of John. The Epistle of John is a letter written to the churches just for encouragement, for support, for instruction, so forth and so on. The Gospel of John is John's written account of his time with Jesus specifically. And when you come to the end of the Gospel of John, uh, he concludes by saying that he supposes that if he were to try to write down all the things that Jesus said and did, there wouldn't be enough room in the world to contain all the books that would be necessary. Well, now you look at the epistle of John, and John's teaching us some of the most important things that Jesus said. Okay, so this is a very small book, and so there's some things that he wants to emphasize about Jesus' teaching. And what would be the first well, if you come to verse 5, he says, God is light. Who is God? God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Who is God not? God is not darkness. And so in presenting this uh, picture of Jesus and Jesus' teaching, 
John begins with God, and then he's going to move to your life and my life. How does this affect us? How does our life, how does your life line up with who God is? God is light. God has nothing in common with darkness. Now, you and I, on the other hand, we struggle with darkness. And what's important for us to understand is that our victory over darkness will ultimately have nothing to do with self-determination, nothing to do with good psychology, nothing to do with self-help or motivational seminars. Our victory over darkness begins with a clear picture of who God is. Who is God? God is light. Light dispels darkness. And it's for this reason that we should never expect the world, okay, those outside the church, to understand our ethics or our morality. Because to have a clear picture of what is right and what is wrong, what is light and what is darkness, we need a clear picture of who God is. God is light. Consider these things. Light allows us to find our way. Light facilitates growth. Light allows us to see things that we wouldn't see otherwise. Light exposes things that need to be dealt with, things like dirt and bugs and, and rodents. <laughs> and in a very uh, picturesque way, those things are true inside our lives. We have dirt and bugs and rodents. Light reveals our true nature. Get this, all the darkness in the world is a result of separation from God who is light. You see, contrary to many popular teachings today, God isn't both good and evil. What does it say? It says God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. The primary attribute of God is the fact that, according to Scripture, God is holy. And that's why we say around here so often, God is good all the time. You and I, well, we're not good all the time. In fact, why don't you say this with me? I'm not good all the time, but God is. Let's say it together. I'm not good all the time, but God is. Now, we may have our moments, but not all the time. Circumstances in a fallen world are not good all the time. So let's not confuse circumstances with who God is. We read in the scripture things like love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, does not seek its own. And we know that those things are not true of us. They're consistently true of God. And the closer we walk with God who is in light, who is light, the better we will reflect his attributes. Because God is like the sun. We are like the moon. And it's in staying in alignment with God that we're best going to take on his attributes, his characteristics. Don't believe this lie that says good or God is inside you. You just have to dig it up or find it. No, God is outside of you. And it's when we get around him and allow him to get into us that we begin to take on his characteristics. In fact, the rest of our text today is going to give us three ways that we tend to deny God's light and stay in darkness. They're highlighted with the words, notice them, if we claim. Okay, you may want to underline these. You can find them in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. Uh, next week, we're going to see them in chapter 2, verse 6. But these three statements today work perfectly well together to give us a three-point outline of three common lies 
in the Christian experience. Let me give you the lie and then read the text, okay? Lie number one is uh, that we can claim to be Christian yet practice sin. Look at verse six. If we claim to have fellowship with him, if we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Now, the first thing I want you to notice in that statement is that this is all about fellowship with God. Not only does God want to light our path, God wants to be with us on our path, and that's good news. But the main thrust here is that light always trumps darkness. That's what darkness is. Darkness is the absence of light. Light is where God is, while darkness is where God isn't. So to claim to have fellowship with God, who is light, yet walk in darkness, is in reality impossible. <laughs> and so we have this tension. I mean, on one hand, we know we're not perfect, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, we don't want to go around justifying or practicing wrong actions and behaviors either. Because this assumption of the Christian experience is that we're taking on the character of God who is light as we get around him. <laughs> I uh, recently, in fact, at the beginning of the summer, I facilitated a wedding. I've had a number of weddings this summer. And, and, and this is the first time that I recall in my ministry of having this conflict of the definition of, of, of um, marriage. And this happened at least three times. So anyway, this particular wedding, I had a guest who seemed to be a little bit troubled because I read scriptures right from the Bible that say, God made them male and female. For this cause, a man, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. Well, this guy wanted me to know that this was politically incorrect. <laughs> and, you know, he's probably, well, I know he's right. And then, as if to want to convince me that he himself is a Christ follower, he said to me, I consider myself to be a spirit-filled pantheist. A spirit-filled pantheist. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, first, you have to understand pantheist is one who believes that God is the sum of all nature, okay? I didn't say the sum of all created things, I said the sum of all nature, and therefore, this guy worships created things rather than the creator, and from my understanding of scripture, specifically Romans chapter one, to worship the created thing and not the creator is idolatry. So in his idolatry, this guy is claiming to be filled with God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is reserved specifically for the believer. And in this, he's wanting to instruct me as to the definition of marriage based upon a worldview. Well, my friend, that's darkness, okay? And I don't just want to pick on, on one aspect, okay? Bottom line, light is about love, loving God and loving others. But in Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 9, we see a pretty good list of practices of darkness. And I want to emphasize words like practices, okay? I'm choosing my words carefully, okay? Uh, these are things that we're justifying in our own 
thinking, okay? And this particular text is one that I refer to in my teaching quite a bit because it gives such a clear contrast of what are the things of the flesh, what are the things of the spirit, what are the things of darkness, what are the things of light. But here, and I'm not going to read the picture of light here, just the picture of darkness, but you can read on in the text and check it out for yourself. But notice this, Galatians 5, starting with verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. The acts of darkness are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And notice how he concludes. He says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, those who practice these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. That's what the scripture says. So we can't claim to be living in light yet walking in darkness. Light dispels darkness. They cannot share the same space. Well, now there's hope, okay, because there's a solution to this problem. What is that? Well, read on in our text to verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he, as God, is in the light, we have fellowship, there's that word, with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from how many? All sins. Now, this is written in the perfect tense, so that could literally be read that the blood of Christ is continually cleansing us from all sins. That's good news. But again, notice the word fellowship, because right here what we begin to see is that it's a healthy relationship with God that allows us to begin to experience healthy relationships with one another. Last week in verse 3, we saw that it's in believing the message of Christ that fellowship becomes possible. Here we see it's in walking in the light that makes fellowship possible. So believing is the beginning of fellowship, while walking is the continuation of that fellowship. So this reminds me, and, and uh, this is a quote that I'm going to carry with me the rest of my life, based upon our recent study of Tozer. And that is this, the essence of all created things has to do with proper connections, Okay, and this applies right here because the only way we're going to ever truly enjoy healthy relationships with one another is by allowing all our relationships to flow out of a proper connectedness to God, the source of all relationships. Get this, sin separates, darkness separates. Okay, sin hides things in the dark. Sin creates the capacity of betrayal. Sin breaks trust. But in the light, there are no secrets. Therefore, trust can be built because everything is disclosed. Friend, life isn't about how much stuff you accumulate. What life is about is relationships, connectedness, proper connectedness. Okay, so fellowship with one another. Fellowship with God earlier, fellowship with one another here. But the key to our victory over darkness, notice here, is to stay in the light. Come out, come out wherever you are. Ollie, ollie, in can free. Jesus changes our hearts and our actions. Now that doesn't mean that we're perfect, but what it does mean is that we're different, we're changed. In fact, we should be able to ask one another, how has Christ, the power of Christ working in you, changed your life? 
I mean, if you jump ahead to next week's scripture, 1 John 2, 4, it says, the man who says, I know him, know Jesus, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. In verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This becomes our desire. Now, this passage wasn't given to us by the Holy Spirit so we could go around using it as ammunition to shoot all other people who aren't lining up with our expectations of them. But it's to remind us to believe and to trust and to know that God is transforming us into his image as we walk closely with him. So this takes us to the second, if we claim, in verse 8. Okay, so if we claim... To be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, notice what's happening here. The first guy, the one we talked about, uh, have been talking about, is the person who believes that Jesus' blood has him, has him covered, so therefore he can now live however the blank he wants. Okay, do whatever he wants to. But the second guy claims to somehow have risen above the capacity to sin. It's a pride thing that would get us to a place where we say, I haven't sinned in 30 years, or I used to sin, but then I met Jesus, because both places are spiritually deceived. Okay, walking in the light is about being honest with God, being honest with one another, and as long as we pretend, the things that we keep hidden in the darkness will never be dealt with, they will never change. Fellowship is found in the capacity of walking in foes full disclosure, full light before one another. So the second lie is that our potential toward sin is no longer a threat. I'm living in victory. I don't know about the rest of you people, but I'm living in victory. Now, okay, how does this apply to a, our, our Wesleyan understanding? Well, I realize there are those believers who claim to be walking in victory in specific areas of their lives and and that's awesome I, I i don't want to undermine that if they're claiming they're gaining their victory by walking in the fullness of the holy spirit in specific areas of their lives i do not want to undermine their testimony i don't want to undermine the power of god i don't want to limit god in any way but where i have trouble and listen you know i'm choosing my words carefully here where I have trouble is when someone gets to the place where they believe they're somehow above the potential to sin and talk about how everyone else should be like them. It's a very dangerous place to be because the Christian life is a life of deep dependence on God so that when indeed we get it right and things good come out of our lives, the best we can say is all glory to God so that we become surprised by holiness. I've been around those believers who shout loud about perfection. And I have to tell you, I don't want to be like them because whatever it is they think they're perfected in, it certainly isn't love and definitely not joy. <laughs> and if I don't love, then the scripture says I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So then the application here written to believers is in verse 9. I love the way this text is laid out because first it gives us the challenge and then it gives us the application. What's the application here? If we, that's you and me, if we confess who sins? Our sins. Okay, we don't go around confessing for everybody else. God, I know I messed up, but it wouldn't have happened if you didn't give me so and so. That's what Adam did in the garden, remember? I mean, he said, God, if it wasn't for the woman you gave me, right? Or it was that woman you gave me. 
right? So we confess our own sins. Now, stop pretending. The word confession, okay, if we confess, it's a great word. It's the word homo legeo. Homo means the same. Legeo means speech or word. So the definition is that we're agreeing with God about what he's already said about us. <laughs> we should be able to ask one another in the church, honestly, what besetting sin do you struggle with most and how can I pray for you? We should never get to the place where we think, I don't need anybody's help, I'm just fine. So it goes on, if we confess our sins, how will God respond? He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Friends, this is how we appropriate the gift that God has made available through Christ on the cross. Not only will he forgive us, he will wipe our slate clean if we will allow him to work in such a way in our lives that we're able to say what he's saying in our spirits. Now, there's a huge tragedy at this point in that many Christians don't understand this because either they feel so guilty that they confess the same sins over and over and over again, always wondering if they forgot something, <laughs> or they believe that God forgave them when they sinned, but if they should mess up and don't have time to confess because they get in a car crash or because Jesus returns, that they're going to be forever damned. Friend, what we all need to understand, and this points me to Micah 6, 8. I didn't bring that scripture on the PowerPoint today, but Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. This shows us the characteristics of God because God uh, is just, it's part of his nature. He wouldn't be holy if he were not just. He's right in all he does. But if you want to know what he really loves, he loves mercy. He loves to forgive. And we need to understand that Jesus' blood has us covered so that if we don't get our confession done in time or whatever, and we don't... That, that, we're, that we don't have to live in fear, that we don't have to confess the same sins over and over again, and we don't have to fear messing up in the last seconds of our lives. What walking in the light is about, it's walking in full disclosure before God, and that, my friend, is a safe place to be. We need to learn to enjoy God and the presence of God. So now we come to the third one, verse 10, 1 John chapter 1. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So here we go again. The first guy claims to be a Christian, but practices sin. The second guy claims to be above sin. Third guy claims, and this is lie number three, to never have really been that bad. Okay, Sin is a non-issue. Like the drunk hobo who walked into church one day, right in the middle of the service, walked down the altar, fell down weeping. And the, what's the pastor to do? He came down to pray with the guy and he said, repeat after me. I'm nothing but a dirty, miserable old sinner. And immediately that guy jerked his head back and said, well, I'm not that bad. <laughs> well, yeah, guess what? Yes, we are. We're all that bad. 
If we weren't that bad, then the wage of sin wouldn't be death. If we weren't that bad, then Jesus would have never have gone to the cross. Our sin was bad enough that it required death. It required the death of Jesus. So to say otherwise is to call God a liar. We deceive ourselves when our actions are contrary to God's will to light. And then we go around saying, well, it isn't that bad. Hear it. Please hear it. Have you ever come to the place where you, you've been able to admit before God that you're a sinner? Yes or no? If you can't say, yes, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, then you're calling God a liar. And notice with the rest of that scripture that his word has no place in your life. That means he cannot even begin to speak into your life. If you want God to begin speaking to your life, the place to begin is recognizing the separation that has occurred between you and him. Now, here I have to point out the second reason John gives us for writing this book. Okay, The first one was last week in verse 4, where he said, We write this so that our joy together with yours might be complete. That's more in line with the, the, the way it was intended. And then the second is right here in chapter 2, now moving into chapter 2, verse 1. And remember, when he started following Christ, he was very young. Now he's an old man into his 90s. So in a warm fatherly way, he says, my, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Did you know that's uh, God's desire for you, that you not sin? Huh? Did you know that? Your goal isn't to learn to manage sin. Your goal isn't to learn to sin less. The goal is to become like God. That's right, because we know that without holiness, no one will ever see the Lord. And eternal destiny has to do with being in God's presence. Okay? But thanks, thanks be to God, he doesn't leave us here. He goes on to say, but if anyone does sin, okay, yeah, we have one. And notice, just one, not many. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ the righteous one, the one who alone is righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. Well, so although John's purpose in writing this, second purpose, is to keep believers from sinning, realistically, we see here, he knows better. He knows we're going to mess up. But in his grace, God has given a twofold um provision to restore Christians when they when they fall. First, notice how he's appointed Jesus to be our advocate, okay? One to go to bat for us. It's, it's in those words in the NIV, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. So Jesus is like a defense attorney who comes with us into the judgment hall of God, into the courtroom of God, and pleads our case for us. That's really good representation because Jesus wins 100% of the time with those who allow him to take on their case. And that's really good odds, okay, 100%. But the second part is in those words, atoning sacrifice. The, the theological term is propitiation, which means that Jesus has satisfied the righteous requirements of God's law. And therefore, we no longer have to fear God's judgment against us. For the believer, there's only one 
prosecuting attorney, one accuser who's working against them, and that is Satan. Satan loves to remind us of our failings. Sometimes he will even do that through people in the church and, and through preachers. But he will not win his case, for Jesus is representing us in the courtroom, and Jesus is saying, I've already paid the penalty for their sin. So if you walk with God, you will habitually be agreeing with him about what he has already said about you. Let's stop pretending, but be wise. I'm not suggesting you go stand in the corner of Elkhorn and Highway 7 and shout, I'm a pervert. <laughs> if you do that, you may find yourself being kind of embarrassed. But you know, I've kind of done that in my past. I mean, not stand on Highway 7 and Elkhorn and shout that I'm a pervert, but I've been in those settings where God has moved on my life in such a way that I just wanted to be honest with those around me. A couple of times when I was with circles of guys and leaders, and I just would confess an area where I'm struggling. And you know what they would do? They'd gather around me and they would pray for me and say, so sorry, brother. But that's not what I was looking for from them. I was looking for them to agree with me that we struggle together so that we could pray together. Okay, What we needed would be those people in our lives that we can be honest with. So what we see in our text today is that one says, you know, Jesus has me covered so I can live however I want to live. Another says, I'm now above sin. And a third says, I've never been that bad. After all, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. All three are, are calling God a liar, and therefore God cannot speak into their lives. The key to victory here is to walk in the light, full disclosure before God, agreeing with him about what he has said about us, and in that allowing it to point us to Jesus, who is our hope. That's good news, friend. That's good news. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Ali, Ali, income free. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for light. We don't want to hide in the darkness. Please give us those people who will walk with us in light so that we can bear one another's burdens, praying for one another, so that we can be the best representations of you in this world we can possibly be. Until that day of your glorious appearing, Lord, we come. We come into your light. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.